0: How do I do my taxes? What's a credit limit? Where can I find a doctor? When's the best time to move? Who can I ask about all this? And why wasn't I taught how to be an adult? Hi, I'm Kathy. And I'm Genevieve. And And we're we're just just as lost lost
1: as you you are. are.
0: Come along with us as we journey through the weird, confusing, and sometimes scary world of adulthood. Every week, we'll talk with experts. And those who have been there, done that, to answer your questions and ours. And on this edutainment podcast, we'll finally learn how to be an adult. So
1: come on, and join the society, society of Grown-Ups. Hey listeners, it's Kathy. Just hopping on here real quick before the episode starts to give you a trigger warning. This episode contains discussion of child abuse and neglect, abuse and neglect, addiction, suicidal thoughts and ideations, self-injury, mental illness, eating disorders, and sexual assault. Please take care of yourself. If that means skipping any part of this week's episode or the episode entirely, then do it. Your mental well-being comes first. There are a lot of resources in the description as well if you need them. And with that, on to the episode. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, guys. Welcome to another week of figuring
0: out how to be an adult. Oh, this one was hardcore. Anyways, you're listening to Society of Grown-Ups.
1: I'm Genevieve. I'm Kathy. How was your week, girl? It's been going... You know, this episode came at a perfect time as, you know, we talked about a little bit. We've both kind of been through it. <laughs> it was a full moon last lately. week. So Ugh. besides going through it, how have you been? What'd you do this week?
0: I did. I had my tarot class last night, which was awesome. I did a full moon ceremony on Saturday. Ooh. Um, what else? My fungus gnats are officially gone. Yes. Very excited about that. Um,
1: well, oh, super I found funny out you mentioned uh, I'm, fungus gnats because uh, my money tree is dying. Why? What's going on? I don't know. I don't think I watered it enough. More plants
0: die from overwatering than underwatering. But how you water plants is just put your finger in the soil. If the soil's dry, water it. If it's damp, don't water it. It'll come back. Don't worry. Um, from plant mama Genevieve. Yeah. So this week was a lot of catching up on routines and daily practices I have and kind of just getting back in the swing of things. Anything adult you did this week? Oh, I applied for
1: some jobs this week. Please, if you're listening, send some positive energy out into the universe for me. I need to get out of the house. (laughs) Today, we are actually going to be talking about therapy. And um, speaking of therapy, if anybody is watching WandaVision, this season finale dropped today. I think Wanda would definitely benefit from some serious girls serious had therapy.
0: trauma. Holy yeah!
1: Oh my! Like she, I she lost everyone. She lost everything in her life, and you know, I'm getting a bit emotional because all I want is for Wanda to be happy. That's my Wanda wishes. Marvel, if you're listening, give my girl a happy ending at some point.
0: So like Kathy mentioned, this week's episode is all about therapy and mental health. So our guest is a licensed mental health counselor in Massachusetts, and she's just fabulous and very wise and knows her shit, hence why we have her on here. So please welcome Autumn Zarendow. (laughs)
2: My name is Autumn. I am a licensed mental health counselor, and I have my own private practice, a psychotherapy practice. So I'm here today to talk to you a bit about how to get a therapist, what are things to look for, and what that process would look like so that you could feel comfortable seeking that out.
1: So what what are the different kinds of therapy, and what does each one do?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. I would say that there are different modalities in therapy, right? Like where people have different approaches to the way that they provide therapy and there are different types of providers, right? That provide therapy, right? So I'm what you call a licensed mental health counselor, which is also considered like a licensed professional counselor, but there's other people that provide therapy just like me, right? Like a licensed clinical social worker, a psychologist, right? So there's a variety of kind of different people out there providing a very similar service, uh, which is really like talk therapy. I would say some people do art, like expressive art therapy, And there's a whole sort of like animal assisted therapy. There's a lot out there, you know, to kind of cater to some needs.
1: How would you find, I guess, the best kind of therapy for you? I would say that it
2: takes, it might take some time to kind of figure out what it is that you need and kind of starting off like a foundation, right, with some talk therapy, some psychotherapy with a licensed uh, professional, and really exploring from there. Most therapists are trained to provide a lot of um, different types of therapy, like say cognitive behavioral therapy or uh, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, and a lot of other types, right? So it depends on kind of what you're kind of presenting with, right, to the therapist, and the therapist will assess what would be the best approach for you? But of course, it's always helpful to say, I'm really creative. And I think having expressive art uh, incorporated in therapy could be helpful for me.
0: Why might someone seek out a therapist or why might someone need or want to go to therapy in the first place?
2: There's so many reasons why someone might want to seek out a therapist. I would say that even just life transition, right? People come to therapy because either they're kind of struggling with a life transition they're feeling like it's really hard for them or uh, would like to make some changes in their lives. And they're just not really sure kind of how to start. Maybe some intense feelings that are coming up that um, they're really not sure kind of how to navigate on their own. That um, is probably a Pretty motivating reason to come to therapy. And maybe some of their family members or friends, um, they don't want to burden them, or they feel like maybe the information that they're getting from some of the people in their life might not be helpful. So they want to kind of seek some unbiased or non biased person to provide a non judgmental approach to whatever it is that they're kind of seeking out.
0: I think so many people think, oh, I can't go to therapy unless I was abused as a child or my parent just died. And I think a lot of people only think that they can go to therapy if something has completely shaken up their world, whereas something as... Switching a job or moving or things that people would think are little or simple. Nothing is too small for therapy, I guess is what I'm
1: trying to say. Something that my counselor actually told me was therapy doesn't always have to be when you're sad. It doesn't always have to be a sad thing or, oh, I need this or else like I'm going to enter a crisis. Therapy can be happy. Therapy can be appreciating the little moments.
2: Yeah, no, I agree uh, with both of you, what you both said, Genevieve and Katerina. um, I think that little T, like those small traumas and that big T, like the big traumas, like we don't necessarily always have to go to therapy when there's this huge event that's happening in our lives. Right. I don't know if other people have seen like this picture of like a counselor and a person kind of talking and the person has a thought bubble. Right. And in this thought bubble, it's like really all these like mixed up strings. And after they're leaving the therapy room, all all these strings are sort of like separated into these little kind of like piles, neat piles, right? And I think that's a a great image to think about with therapy that like you go in and things just feel confusing where you're like, I don't know how I feel about this, or I don't really know how I'm going to handle like going to the grocery store in a pandemic, right? Like just kind of small things that can create a lot of, uncomfortability. And those things can be broken down in therapy to, to feel more manageable.
0: What can help someone decide to try therapy? Like what if they're really apprehensive to do so?
2: Not all counselors kind of work the same way, right? So if you go to therapy and you feel like it's not a match, right? Like that you're just not kind of connecting with your, your therapist, It's okay to seek out another therapist, right? Or to try other options. Typically a therapist, when you first start working with them, will say that, right? Like this isn't, I would not take it personal if someone said to me, hey, like this isn't helpful because it really is all about the person coming into the therapist. And we would want you to get the most, uh, support that you can and what, what is helpful for you.
0: So we've talked about kind of like, what is therapy? So how do you go about finding a therapist and how do you know when one is right for you? I mean, I personally, like I'll disclose, I've been in therapy since I was in eighth grade and I've had good therapists. I've had therapists. I don't want to say bad therapists, but I've had therapists that didn't work for me. I had some that were very goal oriented. So when I came in, it was like, okay, what do you want to get done? What do you want to accomplish? Whereas some others were more about, you know, digging into deep rooted issues or things like that. Um, so I always say finding a therapist is kind of like dating. Um, (laughs) but yeah, how do you find a therapist? Like, how do you even start?
2: So there's a few different ways that you can access therapy and you could go through like a mental health agency that employs a lot of therapists, right? So in your local area, you might be able to kind of Google like what is a mental health therapy and some agencies might pop up. There's also a, uh, like directories of therapists, like individual therapists, right? Like you might go on a website, I think like psychology today, right? That's a website that has individual therapists that can match to what it is that you're seeking, right? Like someone that might focus specifically on trauma or women's issues or codependency, right? Like all of these, um, areas that you might be kind of noticing in your life that you want to target you you can literally do a search right of say okay i'm looking for a therapist that takes this sort of um insurance right and is focused on depression right and also is familiar with lgbtq concerns right so you could put all that in and get like a list of people that you can of screen before you make contact with them because they usually will have a profile and pictures and uh, almost like a statement like a personal statement of what they might focus on so that i would say that's a really great guide of looking for a therapist if you're in the market and then you can make contact from there right so you can send them like an email or give them a call And just let them know exactly what it is that you'd like some support with. They might do a consult with you, right? Like maybe
0: do 15 minutes to see kind of does this match, right? Uh You mentioned, you know, finding a therapist that's sensitive to LGBTQ matters. Everyone has specialties, right? But do you recommend finding therapists that have the same sexuality, gender identity, race, because they obviously have a better understanding of that?
2: I would recommend someone that has familiarity in that area, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend someone that identifies as exactly kind of you, right? Like if you're non-binary, like you, it might be really hard to find a non-binary therapist, um, but there's a lot of therapists that go through extensive training. Like we go through cultural competency courses in our graduate programs. There are some therapists that have a greater knowledge in that area. Right. But they might not necessarily disclose or to their clients. Right. There's there's some parts of a therapist's uh, work. Right. That the ethical standards that we wouldn't necessarily always disclose kind of our personal identities in our sessions, right? So you might not know if that person identifies, right, as uh, say non-binary or they're trans, right? That they might not necessarily be out in that respect, but if they do identify in the sense of being sensitive to those concerns, then I would say, Uh, Yes, you you should definitely seek someone out that does have experience working with someone that is non-binary or transgender because it can be really helpful and it's so important to feel like you're seen in your sessions. You can also kind of teach a therapist some of your experience, right? Because every person is unique regardless of kind of these categories that we identify with, that we put ourselves in. But we're all kind of existing in this unique way, right, through our experience. And the therapist wants to know, like, what does that mean for you? Someone that identifies as non-binary, like say there's two people, their experiences could be entirely different existing in the world and in their feelings and responses to their life.
1: So you mentioned um, that most therapists will do an intake or a first session for people who have not received therapy yet. Can you kind of walk us through on what's that what that's like and how much you should re- you should share in the beginning?
2: Yeah, of course. That's a good question. So I would say being as open as you possibly can, right, which can be really scary uh, is helpful. And that gives the therapist an accurate picture of really how they can help you. So they'll go through, I mean, my standard intake is, Uh, talking about the reason why you're coming here is how it starts off, right? Like what you're kind of presenting concern. Then we go through a history, like if you've had any um, previous therapists, when was the last time you've been in therapy? Um, It would also ask you if you've had any previous diagnoses that you're aware of and then some family history, right? Like who in your family might have some some diagnoses or any kind of substance abuse concerns, you know, the ages of the people in your family. We want to know a lot right away, right? Um, and so yeah, they ask about your family members and then medications that you might be on is another uh, question that we would ask. And that's to, to see if you have um, any kind of medical conditions, right? That might be kind of impacting maybe some of the reasons why you're coming to therapy, right? So if you um, say that you feel really tired a, a lot, right? And um, then all of a sudden you might be on a medication that doesn't make you feel tired anymore. Is that a result of therapy or is that a result of medication? So we always kind of wanna um, rule out other kind of reasons why your symptoms might change a bit. And then we would go through your positive kind of supports in your life. Like who do you live with right now, right? Who is, um, who do you talk to? Who do you go to when things are kind of tough in your life to really assess like what support systems that you have? If, if you're working, if you're in school, maybe if you have any history of substance use or misuse, we want to know both of those because they can impact um, your mood, you know, and it might not be in an addictive way, but just to to get an idea of um, some some of the substance use history for yourself and your family. And then uh, some of the kind of sometimes can be tough questions, right? Are, you know, if there's any history of uh, suicidal thoughts or self-injury or hallucinations, right? So we, it's, uh, that's an area where we uh, have uh, like a, what we call a risk assessment where we'll ask a lot of those questions and history of eating disorders. So it is extensive, right? And Uh, But it really is, it's so helpful to be as honest as you can on on those forms. It's not a
0: test. You're not getting graded. (laughs) (laughs) Not like this person checked every box. They are hopeless. Goodbye. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) No, it's definitely
2: not a test.
1: And I guess after you have your first intake session, is is there a amount of sessions a week or even a month that you would recommend um, a patient attend?
2: Especially at first, it can be helpful to see your therapist once a week. You know, there are some times when maybe you might see a therapist twice a week. So it would be a mutual kind of treatment plan, right? That you would talk to the therapist and you would come up with what's comfortable for both of you, right? Uh, Probably at the end of the first session, right? When you're in your intake and they go through that Uh, assessment the first time that you meet, um, at the end, they'll usually say like, Oh, I think that it would be helpful for you to maybe come back next week. Or do you want to schedule something in two weeks? Right. So when the therapist um, suggests something that that's a recommendation, and that's not necessarily, you don't have to do that either. Right. Like you could say, well, I'd really like to to come in again in two weeks, right? That you might not feel like you need to go to therapy every week, uh, but it, it could be a recommendation and recommendations are suggestions and they're they're informed suggestions, right? But they're not necessarily like the end all, right? Just because someone has uh, letters behind their name doesn't
0: mean that you don't have agency within your own life as well um we're actually going to get to red flags with like therapists and stuff later so don't worry
1: okay
0: is there a couple like questions like you can say like yes or no or you know it doesn't have to be super deep it's more just to inform people so what do you even do in therapy is it just talking and is there homework and if there is homework what are some examples
2: what do you even do in therapy so a lot of it it is talking, right? And I would say that a therapist is there talking with you, they're observing you too, not to put you like on stage, but to um, really see like how you respond to some of the questions that the therapist ask, right? In the sense of um, if you're what your body language is, those types of things. Um, but it, it really is a process or an experience of, um, healing, hopefully, uh, for you to really unpack whatever it is that you need to. I've had sessions where the person didn't really want to talk so we just were a bit silent right for a long time in in the session I would die
0: like I hate silence so much and that's a reason I am in therapy but oh my god I don't know (laughs) if I was the therapist I don't know how I could sit I know you're very well trained it's part of your job but I would just be like ah
1: I'm volunteering for this nonprofit, and I was stuck in this um, Zoom meeting where we we went into breakout rooms, and we didn't have a facilitator, so it was just me and like ten other people sitting in silence, with like turning slowly turning their cameras off, and the amount of awkwardness in there. So,
2: so we use silence as a tool, right? Because silence can make us feel really uncomfortable, <laughs> and uh, that tendency, like you know, I have that too, right? If someone isn't talking that I'd like to fill in that space. So I've had to have some training on like sitting in silence and not always being the first one to talk as well. Like we can use that as a, as therapists, as tools in our sessions um, to help either reflect on something that someone might have said or give them space to feel their feelings, right? That we don't always have to of go in and say like quote unquote the right thing to them in that moment that it's okay to sit in silence
0: for for a little bit. How long are therapy sessions or how long are your sessions?
2: Probably between 45 and 55 minutes is a typical uh, therapy session. And I know there was another question that I I don't think I answered. Yeah, is there homework? Yeah, so sometimes Right. And so I think that there are modalities, right? Like I use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy where maybe where cognitive
0: behavioral therapy.
2: (laughs) So that is a type of therapy that really focuses on the impact of our thoughts and feelings on our behavior. Right. So if I have, say, a cognitive distortion that is focused on, I guess, like magical thinking is a cognitive distortion, right? So there, that's a type of cognitive distortion. And it's uh, a scenario of that would be, oh, I know that I'm not going to, you know, get that job. Or I know that that person isn't going to want to go out on a date with me because of some kind of self-concept that I have, but I'm like predicting the future, right? That like, I'm uh, able to predict that that's not going to happen for me, right? And so that's what we do in, in cognitive behavioral therapy is we identify cognitive distortions that might be kind of... Uh, Self defeating, right? And I might assign homework, like if we go over them in session, like see how this is impacting your life if you're able to identify any cognitive dis- distortions throughout your week. Or I also have had clients where they might be really good at homework. So then we don't assign any homework. Your homework is to do no homework. <laughs> right um and just kind of rest and be because uh, I think that we as a society uh have this need to be like always busy too so like how can we sit still for a little while and just like be with ourselves and be okay
0: well it's the freaking productivity guilt I feel like especially with the pandemic yeah. it's like well if you didn't pick up a new hobby or go back to school or move or like completely make over your house or learn how to bake bread like or do did a you side even, hustle or something? Yeah, or do a side hustle. Like, did you even do anything in the pandemic? Like, what do you have to show for it? And it's like, we are currently being traumatized by the world. Yeah. Leave us alone. <laughs> And that pressure is
2: there, right? To I was thinking like learn a language or read a book a month or uh,
0: I could list a ton of them, right? Um, And those things are all great. And if that's helpful to you, because obviously we need to pass the time and we just as much as we want to, Mm -hmm. we just can't watch Netflix for, you know, now it's been (laughs) here. And yeah, those things are good and they're all helpful, but I know for me, I have trouble being by myself and being still, because I hate feelings and I hate being vulnerable. So for me, I need to pause and be like, okay, why am I doing all this today? And yeah, there's stuff to pass the time, but also it's okay if you don't do any of that or it's okay. You, you, it, you don't need something to show for your pandemic. Like you don't need yeah. something you can put on a plaque in 10 years and, you know, say, this
1: is what I did.
0: Again, those are all great things to do. And if they help you and you like doing them amazing, but just make sure you're doing them for the right reasons.
1: Of course. I would even say pre-pandemic, there's this pressure where you're not doing enough. Like you need to keep doing more. You need to fill your plate as much as possible. And it's just like, it's overwhelming. And especially online, on on TikTok and YouTube, it's like, oh, like, look at my morning routine. And to me, I feel super intimidated because it goes, I'm not doing that. Should I be doing that? I always always make
0: fun of those people, which this is cynical me, (laughs) but I call them the, and this is me by no means making fun of yoga because I do yoga, but I call them the namaste people. So they'll be like, namaste. I meditate for two hours upside down. I eat only kale and organic things. And then I um, sprinkle my apartment with joy. And then I somehow have 35 hours in my day. So I get so much stuff done. Also, I made $10,000 in a week. What are you doing with your life? That's my impression of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're not shading you if you're an influencer and you make all that money. But we also hate you. Low key, but no.
2: Yeah. I mean, you both bring up a really good point too, that in this pandemic that you can't necessar- necessarily be thriving, right? Like that we're, if if you're surviving, like you're doing enough, right? Just surviving through this. So um, to thrive, right, is an extra bonus that shows that you're resilient in the, in a significant way and that you're not impacted as Other people are that might have experienced uh, other traumatic events in their life, right? That might be a little bit more vulnerable to uh, stress.
1: Yeah. And, you know, considering that we are in weird ass times, um, what, what do you suggest we do outside of therapy? Like what, what do you say is the best things we can do to work on ourselves?
2: I would say that the best things that you can do during this time is to be gentle with yourself, right And there's so much there's so much out there about uh, self-improvement right And uh, we'd never want to use self-improvement as a tool to really bash ourselves or uh, to
0: do anything like that, right so, being I feel like that her- market is booming right now. The six ways to improve your life. This will make you the most perfect person. I see so much stuff all the time. I feel like we're just, sorry to interrupt you. I just feel like we're inundated with these six things will fix your life or read this book and you'll be completely changed and have no more issues mm-hmm. ever. And all your trauma will be gone.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's. That really does kind of complement my point in the sense that where it's okay to just be right if you if your self care looks different than sort of the quote unquote like what other people's self care is maybe on social media, I would say that actually brought another point up, maybe putting down social media is a way that we can take care of ourselves in in this time without therapy and going outside, uh, connecting with nature, being with animals, right? Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, just sitting with like a cat or a dog, if that's your thing, you know, Uh, because it's so helpful just to Sit with uh, another kind of living being. Uh, so, those are some of my recommendations. I always recommend exercise and not in a way to kind of change your appearance, right? Exercise can help uh, really change your mood, right? And there's tons of endorphins that are being pumped into your body. There's a physiological response in your body to exercise. So, whether that's just going out for a walk around the block or.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, dancing is a great workout. And uh, something that we work
2: on in therapy too, there's uh, kind of like this opposite action, which is a part of DBT, the dialectical behavioral therapy. So, say you don't want to go outside, it's almost doing the opposite action to kind of shift that feeling so that when you come back from that, you see the change in your mood, right? Like doing this opposite action until you know that that's something that you want to do. And, uh, almost like forcing yourself to do it. Cause you know, of the benefits, even though maybe you're just kind of stuck in a place where you're like, I'm cold and I don't want to go out there. And, uh, then afterwards you come back and you're like, why didn't I do this sooner? Right. So that's, that's a piece that is really helpful is doing things that make you feel good, even when you don't want to do them.
0: Sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone to feel better. Sometimes you got to push yourself a little bit, you know, nudge yourself because if we're comfortable all the time, And this isn't me saying, you know, put yourself in a triggering situation or put yourself in an unsafe situation or something that's going to affect your mental health. But I think also people like push yourself a little more because if you stay in comfort the whole time, you know, you're you're never never going to change or grow. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of money and finances with therapy, how much does therapy typically cost and what are some affordable ways to get it if, you know, Finances are an issue, where you're struggling financially, like so many people are right now. Also, for reference, Massachusetts in the in the states, so don't feel the need, Autumn, to answer for Canadians or anything like that.
2: Okay, great. There's a variety of uh, ways to pay for therapy. So you could pay private pay, right, where you would just pay kind of out of pocket, and that it really depends on the therapist. I would say if you went on a website like Psychology Today, they have their kind of fee on the website. Um, it might be like anywhere between 60 and $200, right? Like it really varies depending on what you're looking for for therapy. And uh, what your financial need is, right? So some therapists would do a sliding scale. So it is okay to ask for that, say, if you're struggling to pay. Um, here in the States, we have something, It's I think it's called the Open Path Collaborative. I'd have to check exactly what it is, but it is a uh, website that offers discounted therapy. Yeah, that's what it's called, Open Path collective, excuse me. And the sessions there are reduced rate, right? It's like between 30 and 60 US dollars per session. There's therapists that are on there that might kind of do some work that um, they're kind of wanting to give back and uh, charge a reduced rate for their fees. So that that's an option. Um, Here we also have the option of health insurance, right? So your health insurance um, in the States would probably reimburse or pay for the service for you, depending on what kind of health insurance that you have. And in COVID, uh, a lot of the insurance companies have gotten rid of cost sharing, right? So if someone had like a deductible or a copayment right there, if you're providing telehealth to someone else, depending on the insurance, that person is not responsible for the fee um, that they typically were if they were going in person to see a therapist. I've heard some of them are lifting it or changing it here and there. It's really dependent on the exact health insurance organization, but it's something that not a lot of people are aware of that there is that cost sharing uh, due to the pandemic.
0: That's a really good tip. I think. Yeah,
1: I didn't know that.
0: It just, oh, I really don't understand why companies and insurance doesn't cover all of therapy or some of therapy, or because it is a need. You know, mm-hmm. it's as
1: much of a need as a physical every year or getting your eyes tested. Just, yeah. Ah. But even then, like you know, I don't choose to wear glasses, but I have to pay for glasses. And when I had insurance, it didn't cover much if you have a special prescription. I don't know what the solution for it is, but hopefully there's a change in the future to come.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that unfortunately our um, health care system here in the States leaves much to be desired. Um, I'm a big fan of a single payer. I think that that would be very helpful for uh, providers like myself to navigate. It's really hard to uh, go to different companies to apply for, to submit claims, right? Even and they can do whatever they can say, no, I'm not going to pay that claim. And then you're like out of the money too, right? So we're kind of at the mercy of insurance companies uh, from the provider side. And it's really confusing to navigate as someone that has health insurance. Like what it, what is exactly covered. It's not easily accessible to find information about certain services uh, that you might want covered. And sometimes I even have to walk through perspective um, clients, like go to your company, ask them for behavioral health outpatient services, see what they say to you about that. Is this covered, right? It's uh, teaching people how to use this language to navigate a system that they just don't necessarily know how to use, which might
0: be the purpose of, of that system. Or even to some, you know, some companies cover talk therapy, but they don't cover like EMDR or I don't know, but anyways, they, you know, if, the grass isn't cut a certain inch at this therapist's office. We don't cover it. Just it's all the little (laughs) loopholes and very technical bullshit. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, there's this kind of standard of medical necessity for services, right. That um, doesn't look at someone like a whole person, you know, it's required to have a diagnosis of someone in the first session. Right. And For a therapist, we might not feel comfortable diagnosing someone with a major mental health
0: disorder, right? Can only certain like therapists diagnose, can only psychologists, or if you have an inkling that you might have something like bipolar disorder or uh, OCD or another mental illness, who can, who can diagnose you is essentially what I'm asking.
2: Typically all therapists, right, can diagnose uh, someone, right? The first uh, meeting, right, in the insurance world is called a diagnostic assessment, right? And we would submit that diagnosis to the insurance for them to decide if they're going to pay us or not for that service that we provided. But I would say, so I come from a holistic perspective that uh, looking at someone as a the whole person versus kind of this category that we've put in a book to explain their behavior. Um, so I don't typically share my diagnosis with my clients because I feel like it can be stigmatizing. Um, and and it's really just for insurance, right? To to kind of label this, to get paid, right? That's, that's the only reason why I diagnose. I think it's important to look at certain qualities that you might have, like say you're experiencing an elevated mood, like mania, like where you can't sleep and your appetite is decreased and you, um, want to move across the country, right? Like those are some of the markers of, uh, mania in, in bipolar, right? That, uh, would be helpful to, to have the knowledge of yourself so that you could treat that with medication. You could treat that holistically, um, with the vitamins, right. Um, and how to really provide the best care for yourself. So we, we kind of, uh, decide whether we're going to share a diagnosis with a client based on what the impact might be on them. Is this going to be helpful for you? If it's not, I might not share that with you because, it could be harmful, right? And I wouldn't want that to have an impact that you might internalize as negative or um, that you're sort of less than in some way because of this
1: diagnosis. So for people who can who can't afford therapy or any medi- or medication, what resources are there for them? So for people
2: that can't afford therapy or there are Free clinics, right? Here in the US and the States, there's free clinics. A community health center is a a really great resource in the sense that they would connect you either to health insurance or provide you with free care um, so that you could walk in. They have walk in clinics. I would also uh, go to, there's these mobile crisis teams in the US. I don't know if they have them in Canada, but each kind of part of uh, say Massachusetts, each um, county, right, has its own mobile crisis team and they would can provide in-home assessments to you. Like say you're experiencing a psychiatric crisis, you can contact a number in your area for a licensed or a master's level clinician to come out to your home or to see you virtually. And they would be able to um, give you basically an assessment and see what their treatment recommendations might be. They might say uh, an individual therapist would be a great option for you. Maybe you need to go to something a little bit more intensive, like a We call that like an intensive outpatient where you might go there three nights a week uh, or three days a week. And then we have a partial hospitalization program where you're going there kind of like Monday through Friday during the day and then sleeping at home. And then um, there's some other steps on top of that, right? Like a crisis stabilization unit that's not necessarily locked that you would go there for three to five days and you could see a prescriber. And then the kind of and all of that is like an inpatient hospital, right? If, uh, you were kind of in a place where, um, that kind of containment was really what you needed in that time. So that's kind of levels of care. I know I veered off from talking about, uh, where to go, uh, if you are struggling with, uh, financial, uh, needs and also looking for mental health services, but, those are some options, right? The the mobile crisis teams, and uh, going to a community health center, you'd be able to access uh, services that way.
0: There's also different programs like group therapy, like twelve step programs. There's like AA, Al-Anon. There's uh, sex and love addicts, anonymous, gamblers anonymous. Mm-hmm. So. It might not, those aren't, you know, individual and you're there for the same reason that everyone else is. So for instance, if you're going to Gamblers Anonymous, they're probably not going to talk about schizophrenia or, you know, like they're not going to get into individual Mm -hmm. issues or that people are facing, but it's also a good free option if there's sort of an overarching issue or thing that you're dealing with.
1: Yeah. But even that community aspect I, I find could be helpful. Um, another, if you are a student, I would actually recommend reaching out to your counseling services at your school. They're usually free. Um, if not, uh, they're sometimes most- they're free, but make sure that you see
0: because I've gone to those and they're like, well, we only cover 12 sessions. Yeah.
1: So if you go at once a week, I'm like, I need a lot more than four months, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> I would also say um there most university programs they do have like something that I'm I'm trying out is actually working with students that are getting their counseling their masters um they're supervised and the at least the program I'm doing it's based on your annual income so it is it is super affordable.
2: Yeah, those are great resources. I was thinking too when both of you were talking that um if you're employed Your work might have a benefit, it's called EAP. So it's an employee assistance program that they would offer something maybe like a short-term counseling, say if you were going through some life transition. So you could always check in with your uh, benefits and your employer, that could be another option, the EAP program. And peer support groups like Genevieve had said, like the 12-step programs, there's uh, peer support, like warm lines, right? Like if you have a mental health um, disorder or you're really struggling with some symptoms, right? Of any, any kind of symptoms. If you're lonely, if you're feeling just like you need somebody to talk to, they have these uh, warm lines that are run by other people that identify as having struggled with those kind of same things before. They're called uh, warm lines, right? And you could call them anytime, uh, so, so that's another option, and there's other types of peer support groups too, like Learn to Cope, or um, I think that the NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, they have uh, peer support groups for family members, right? That might be they might have a, a loved one that's struggling with something, and just kind of go there to kind of connect with how to provide care or support. Um, So that's another great resource to look into, NAMI.
0: Yeah. And there's also, you know, I know people that have gone to grief groups and stuff like that. So lots of options. Um, Are you ever done with therapy? If so, how do you know when slash if you no longer need it? It really depends on the
2: the reason why you came to therapy, I would say, right. So if you came to therapy because you wanted to some support with maybe a loss in your life and you're in a place where that loss isn't feeling as the intensity has significantly decreased, right? That's an example. You might be done with therapy for now, right? It's okay to hit the pause button uh, whenever you would like to. I would say that, it, it's also a lifelong journey, right, of self-awareness, discovery, support, that, that you could hit that play button at any other time. So I wouldn't necessarily say you graduate, right, because I think that um, there's always more to learn. I think that there's, in this life, right, that we're, we're always uh, able to gain some more insight into, into our lives and into our thinking. And so, yeah, I think that you could possibly complete services in the sense of you're, you're done kind of working on this issue and that's great. And then that issue might come back up after you, you know, hit the pause button that you might want to kind of go back to therapy or something else might come up.
1: So you mentioned, Earlier that there's there's no offense taken if someone says, Oh, I, I just don't feel like this is working for me. I want to try a new therapist. So what what exactly is that process? Like, do you give them a reference? How do you know nicely I
0: mean? say I don't want yeah. to see you anymore?
1: Yeah.
0: Like how do you break up with your therapist?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I would be as honest as you possibly can, right? And let them know why you don't find it helpful because that's feedback for that therapist too, to um, possibly consider in their own practice, right? Like, is this something that they might need to kind of work on, you know, as a professional or is this uh, just kind of a personal end of uh, mismatch, right? And that, that happens. So being as honest and maybe try to be a little gentle <laughs> as well, but I would say just let them know that you're, you know, you don't feel like you're making progress and that you're looking for, for someone that has a focus in maybe this specific area, right? That say you wanna work on uh, balancing stress, right? And maybe there's someone that has a stress management as their kind of specialty. Uh, that's okay to ask for the things that you need, right? Uh, as a therapist, uh, we don't take that personal, right? That's not a reflection on my sort of competence as a therapist, that's just you advocating for what you need. And that's exactly what I want you to do is advocate for yourself. I would give you a couple of references in the sense of here's a few therapists that I think could be of, of help for you. I, w- I would probably do three, right? So that you have that choice. And then going from there.
0: A lot of people that I've talked to that either are thinking about therapy or want to go to therapy, I know a big deterrent can be what can your therapist tell people? So can therapists tell people things you say in therapy? What if you've committed a crime and you bring it up in therapy, or if you are using drugs, whether in an addictive manner or a recreational one, what if you're in an abusive situation? Is your therapist required to call the police?
2: Yeah, no, those are all really great questions. And uh, therapists have a really high standard of confidentiality, right? So we, uh, because we have to go through this process, right, to become trained and then we become licensed. So we have this governing board that kind of like looms over us in a sense of they're, they're watching to make sure that... Um, there's no kind of misconduct that's happening. Uh, So we also have ethical guidelines that we have to abide by in the therapeutic process as uh, licensed professionals. And uh, part of them, part of those are focusing on confidentiality uh, and privileged information. So whatever is said in session is uh, confidential, unless you are kind of sharing with the therapist that you're at imminent risk, which is that you are imminently about in danger of taking your own life or somebody else's life. And when I mean in danger, it's not like, hi, I'm I'm here, I'm very depressed and I've thought about wanting to die, right? Like that's not necessarily where those warning bells go up where we have to kind of violate confidentiality. It's, hi, I'm here, I'm thinking I'm suicidal and I have, you know, the I've thought about a plan, right? And I'm actively like accessing that plan, right? We, we call that, do they have a plan or do they have the means, right, to access that plan and do they have the intent to die? So those are like the assessments that we go through to make sure that um, we are in the right to violate your confidentiality in that moment, right? And it's such a hard, it's a really, really difficult decision to do that because it can impact the trust in the relationship. But um, i am obligated by law to violate that confidentiality in that moment so that's one one area that we would have to tell somebody else typically emergency services or if you're under 18 maybe your parent um, and emergency services and then if you shared with us that a vulnerable person was being abused or neglected right if somebody un- Under 18, someone that is disabled, like with a caregiver, or someone that's elderly, like over, I think, 65, right? If you had shared with us in session uh, that they were being, there was suspected abuse or neglect, we would have to violate confidentiality at that time as well. And if we receive a subpoena from the court, right? uh, We would have to. bring our records to the court and maybe even testify in court, but only if a judge tells us to do that, right? So a lawyer might say, hey, I need, I need all your records, right? And I can say, no, that's privileged information, right? Um, so it would really be kicked up to the judge and the judge would determine if they would like those records to be entered into the courtroom. So, those are the only times, right? Um, There might be a time where you see your therapist out in public somewhere, right? Because we're humans. We go to the grocery store. We do things too, right? Uh, We would not say hello to you unless you said hello to us, because that would violate your confidentiality. So, I usually tell my clients it's nothing personal, right? It's not that I don't want to say hi. It's that. we take confidentiality that seriously. Say I'm with a family member and I say hello to you. They might assume that you're one of my clients and I wouldn't want to kind of out you in that way.
1: And you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the code of ethics you guys have to follow. Um, what are some unethical practices or things that a therapist might do that could be a red flag?
2: Big ethical no-nos, right? Are having any kind of uh, relationship outside of the sessions with your clients, right? Whether that is sexual, even friendships. So we we can never have a sexual relationship with any client that we've uh, been in therapy
1: with.
0: Um, there are some kind of different- That's so gross. I'm just thinking of the Law & Order SVU episode where this woman was sleeping with her therapist. Sorry. Even
1: um the show You with Penn badge. With um, Dan from Gossip Girl, I would say that
2: unfortunately the media portrays therapists so unethically. It's really shocking. It's kind of like a joke in the therapist community, like how frustrating it is to see all these this unethical behavior being portrayed in the media because it might set up expectations, right? Like, oh, if I'm going to go to a therapist, maybe, you know, I'll see them on Tinder later or something, right? Like. It's like, no, you cannot do that. It's just not possible. And unfortunately, it does happen, right? Like uh, I do read the my licensing board, like the kind of malpractice sort of allegations. And there are some things going on in there, right, that uh, people are acting in unethical ways. So if your therapist ever, propositioned you for a date right that is it the hugest red flag ever please leave immediately their boundaries are non-existent and uh, because the therapeutic relationship is really unique that it might feel like there's a power differential in therapy because you're kind of going to this professional um, to uh, get a service right so So that is an abuse of power if someone were to uh, proposition you in some way sexually. Uh, Typically, we can't be friends either, um, unfortunately, right? Sometimes you want to be friends with your therapist, but we can't have any personal contact with you for at least five years after you're out of therapy.
1: So you can be like, we'll be friends in five years.
2: It's it's (laughs) really recommended that you don't after that, but that's the standard rule in my licensing board in my ethical codes is no contact for five years. It's, it is okay to disclose personal information in in therapy sessions, right? If it's for the benefit of the client, right? So we always check in with ourselves in the session, right? If I wanna share personal information with you, is it for my gain or is it for your gain? Because if it were for my gain, that is inappropriate, right? Like we're not here to fix my problems, right? Or to kind of, uh, I'm not here for you to therapy therapy me, right? Um uh, So that's kind of a red flag if you feel like
1: your session is being kind of overrun with your therapist concerns. Oh, that we're actually on the topic of unethical practices, um, I'm not sure if you watch The Bachelor. One of their former contestants, who is a licensed counselor from John Hopkins University, uh, some tweets emerged that are horrible. But one of the worst tweets I find, in my opinion, because she is a counselor, is her actually making fun of her clients a lot of the comments on the situation was, I'm scared to seek therapy now. I'm scared to open up to my therapist. So my question is, what would you say to people who see this person who probably shouldn't be working in mental health and are now scared of opening up or seeking therapy? That does violate that confidentiality that I talked about earlier, right? Where
2: I don't share anything Uh, with anyone except for my supervisor, right? Because every therapist has a supervisor that they talk to about their cases. So to have someone putting their uh, client's information or even opinions or judgments about clients on social media is a huge violation of trust. And unfortunately, that happens. And that's why there are those licensing boards there to protect you so that that person wouldn't continue to practice and to really to cause harm to other people. So if you have red flags in your sessions, you can report a therapist to their licensing board to notify the licensing board that there's unethical behavior going on.
0: Just quickly, how do you do that? Is there a hotline or what can Uh, you research to find? So in the state of Massachusetts,
2: you would go to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts website, you know, the government website, and there's, uh, like an allied health professionals licensing board. Right. And typically, in the informed consent, the therapist should have that, how to report a claim if you feel like your privacy has been violated. Something Take a like picture that. of that. Yeah. and So you would be able to have that. Uh, but going back to your question about like, what do you say to someone that doesn't want to seek therapy because they're hearing about this person, right? And one person does not represent the entire mental health community. Most people go into this field because they really do want to help other people, right? And either they've had their own personal life experiences that have brought them to to the work of being a therapist. That's a huge motivating factor for most therapists. Or um, they themselves had positive experiences in therapy and want to kind of pay that forward a bit. So don't let this one person that is acting really poorly withhold services for you. Cause that's really your, you're letting them have your power too, by, by deciding not to seek therapy because of this one uh, person.
0: We have listeners of a couple different ages. So if you are under age, so under the age of 18, Um, Are you able to be in therapy without your parents knowing? So for instance, if you are in an abusive situation, whatever that may look like, if uh, your parents don't approve of therapy, if your parents can't afford therapy. I know for me, I've been in therapy since grade eight and 14 year old me, it was not easy to tell my parents about therapy, even though they were very supportive. But of course me being a scared little 14 year old, I was like, they're going to hate me. I even wrote to my guidance counselor, please don't tell my mom, um, which obviously she had to, and she did. But yeah, if you're interage, are you able to get into therapy?
2: So it really depends. Actually, there are some places that might provide education, right? Not necessarily therapy but they might be there to provide some education to you for a few sessions before they need your parents' consent, right? So um, in my quote-unquote day job, I work for a domestic and sexual violence agency, and we can provide uh, short-term counseling to maybe a teen that's been sexually assaulted and they don't want to tell their parents about it, right? So we would meet with them three times and say... They might uh, go to a have a medical exam because of the sexual assault. They don't need parental permission for that as well in the state of Massachusetts um, if you're over the age of 12. So there, so there are some um, areas of services that do not require parental uh, consent. I would say for therapy itself, the official psychotherapy, Yes, you do need parental consent for, for for, that, right? So at least one of your parents, ideally it's both, but uh, one of your parents to uh, really sign the documents, right? Because if you're under 18, you're not considered, you know, you have a legal guardian, right? And we need to get the signatures for your informed consent and permission to provide services for our ethical guidelines, right? Uh, So we would have to ask for those things from your parent.
0: So what happens if a repressed memory comes up in therapy or something that's very traumatic that maybe you haven't dealt with comes up in therapy? How do you as the patient or the client deal with that? If something
2: is coming up in therapy, I would recommend that you... Have a place for that, right? As in talk to your therapist about it, let them know that it's happening. Um, Are there things that you can do to calm down, right? Like, do you uh, have any grounding techniques or uh, tapping, right? That can be really helpful or deep breathing, Right. Like if you're in this place where you're feeling like the intensity, like say on a scale of one to 10, right? If the intensity of this traumatic memory is is at a 10, right? Like that's not the time to work through it. That's the time to calm down and stabilize a bit. Right. So when your traumatic memory, kind of uh, feeling intensity is at like a seven or below, that's when we'll talk about those things in therapy, right? Like we don't want you to quote unquote, like redline every time you're in a session, cause that's not going to be helpful. So we would probably rate like where you are on feeling scales with intense emotions in relation to the traumatic memory. And then we would provide some like a suitcase filled, not like a actual suitcase, like say like this imaginary suitcase of things to fill up uh, as in coping skills, right? We'd provide some tools for you so that you could work through these things when it's time to do that.
1: So if if you have a loved one who is really struggling right now and you think that they would benefit from therapy, what is the best way to express that to them? That's a hard conversation.
2: (laughs) So if you have somebody that you think is, would benefit from therapy, I would recommend that you highlight some of the concerns,
0: right? In a gentle way. And you make a PowerPoint in. and you sit them down and say, these are all the reasons. That's the Genevieve approach, which is not the healthy approach.
1: <laughs> yeah, but also everyone's different. Like some people I would say need that kind of like blunt response where like someone like me might just cry for three hours and need someone to be super gentle with me.
0: Yeah. See the yeah. duality, the yin and the yang. That's why we're, co- uh, I almost said comedy partners. That's why we're podcast <laughs> partners. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's, it really does depend on uh, your loved one's personality and how they really receive information, right? It's helpful to have kind of like a compliment sandwich in the sense of like, hey, this is something you're doing well, and this is something maybe we could kind of work on, and then this is something you're doing well, right? Um, so it doesn't feel, especially if they're really sensitive to criticism or suggestions, which if you have somebody in your life that might need benefit from therapy they might be in that place where they might be sensitive to kind of some suggestions of direction in life right but I would also recommend that if you make this suggestion some gentle ways to say a phrase would be hey like it seems like you're say if you have a loved one that's struggling with depression hey it seems like you've been like not going out as much like you don't really seem like yourself like do you think that it would be helpful to talk to somebody about this if you come from it in a way that you are caring and you're concerned for them that's really the best approach
0: i personally always joke that whenever a villain pops up in a movie i'm like if they went to therapy for example uh i watched a lot of the marvel movies for the first time (gasps) and i was like black panther t'challa daddy issues if he had gone to therapy Bucky actually Bucky did go to therapy so sorry spoilers but
1: mm-hmm. is it
0: T'Challa is that the bad guy I in no T'Challa is Chadwick Boseman's character thank so you who yeah. he, yes who is warmonger
1: is that his name yes the Michael B Jordan's character yes Michael right? B Jordan yeah, yeah, yeah. the
0: lovely beautiful Michael B Jordan Um, yeah it was like he had daddy issues if he had gone to therapy Bucky did actually go to therapy so go Bucky but oh but- Kevin, (laughs) Kevin just messaged me (laughs) Jesus. I'm cringing. Eric Killmonger. He's not.
1: (laughs) Oh no. How did
0: I get that wrong? Oh no. I just watched it. Okay.
1: I'm cringing. He's
0: going to break up with me. All my Marvel. Eric Killmonger. Jesus. I'm cringing. Sorry. Um, So my question is, is it true that therapy just doesn't work for some people?
2: It's possible, right? I think that there there are people in a place where you're like, this isn't going to work for me from the beginning. It's probably pretty likely that it's not, (laughs) right? So it's how can we help shift that willingness, right? Is it possible that this could work for me? If you show up that first time, you have some willingness to, to go to therapy. And to see if this this does work. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't work for everybody. Right. And that's okay. Um, And there's even different cultures, right? Like this Eastern kind of medicine, there's not a lot of psychotherapy, like that's really a westernized way of uh, providing support. And people in those communities seem to be doing okay without
0: it. I always remember the Sex and the City episode where Carrie gets a therapist again. No, actually, she was portrayed pretty well, but Carrie dated another client of hers, so maybe that's not great. Meeting someone at your therapist's (laughs) office isn't exactly...
1: Not recommended.
0: But I remember they talk, it was the late 90s or early 2000s, and they mentioned how it's in style to get a therapist, which if that's why you're getting a therapist, don't.
1: Moving on. This is always the most important question, in my opinion, when we have a guest on.
0: To wrap so, up and to finish. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, Autumn, what's the most adult thing you've done this week?
2: Hmm, that is. I'm stumped right now. And I I do want to say that I just love the concept of your podcast, right? This adult thing, like, how do we adult, right? Because I think that we don't necessarily have a Kind of like guideline, right? As people, and to have things like this is just just so wonderful. So I just want to say that while I buy some time to Aww, think about that, <laughs> flatter
0: us more. I love it. I'm an only child. Attention. No, but seriously, <laughs> thank you. That's very okay. sweet.
2: I would say um, I was vulnerable, right, with my boss that I needed help this week. And I was able to communicate that to her, right? Versus kind of, I could have handled it in other ways. And I was direct and professional and polite. And I said what I meant, right? And it was well-received. So that to me is adulting, like not being afraid of authority. That's the most
0: adulting. That's so much more important than laundry and taxes.
1: It takes a lot of strength to do that. And it takes a lot of... Um emotional, emotional strength Sorry, someone's just, partner got home yeah, I just got distracted because my boyfriend walked through the
0: door <laughs> and now for our second guest just kidding um, <laughs> yeah no that's so that's such a therapist answer too that you were like being vulnerable anyways autumn is there anything you want to promote um, is there any Instagram or Facebook about your uh, your therapeutic I don't want to say business but That sounds weird. What's the, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Is there anything that you want to promote or put out where people can follow you or get Mm -hmm. uh, advice or any resources, anything like that? It's your time to shine.
2: Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, so I actually do have an Instagram for my private practice, uh, and it's autumn underscore Z underscore therapy. So it's autumn Z therapy on Instagram. So please follow me. I, I post something.
0: I try to post something every day, Right? day. They're very start- encouraging posts every morning. They pop up very early in the morning for me. So I see 8am. Like, oh, yep,
1: yeah, yeah, start your day off right.
2: <laughs> Just to have a little bit of free therapy in the morning. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram. I'll add it in the description. Don't worry.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or share or end off with?
2: Uh, no, just, I want to thank you for inviting me to be here with the two of you. Thanks so much.
0: Oh, awesome. of course. We're so Thanks glad so to much have for you. Here. Of All right. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, in the description, we're going to have some mental health resources in case they are needed. They're always needed, but we'll have some that are, we're talked about today as well as other ones that we thought would help. Uh, please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars. All that fabulous stuff. It really does help. I know you hear it at the end of every podcast, yeah, but it really does do. help.
1: But yeah. Anyways. See you guys next week or All right. lis- listen to us next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. We'll see you next Monday. <laughs>